Greetings. Welcome to Calvary Christian Fellowship, Wednesday night. Let's um, open up in a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Father, we bless you. We pray for this evening. We pray as we open your word together. I pray very specifically you help me to uh, rightly divide, to uh, express what is on your heart as we go through your word together. And Lord, may, may our hearts be open. May we purpose in this moment intend to hear from you, to uh, have our minds open, our hearts open, to receive from you, to hear your voice, lead us and guide us, to to bring change in our lives. And most importantly, Lord, may it not only be about these few minutes we have together, but may it it be about our lives becoming more uh, into the image of Christ and reflecting him in what we're about. So we pray these things and, and help us as we go through your word together. Pray for all those who are traveling uh, right now. Speak blessing over them. Keep them. And, uh, and all these things we give you glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're doing our study. I dare you not to bore me with the Bible. Um, by Michael Heiser. We're on our 11th lesson together going through this. And... Um, uh, for those that are not super familiar with what this is about, it's um, uh, Michael Heiser was a Bible scholar that when he began teaching, uh, there were students who uh, were had felt like they were the Bible was super familiar with them. They really didn't, you know, weren't excited about studying and learning. And he's like, "Oh, there is so much more here than you can imagine." And uh, he said, "Let me let, let's d- dive in." And see if we can't make sense of those parts that are hard to understand, that are confusing, or that are strange. And it turns out these, these areas are really important and actually make connection points across the, the whole text when we, when we can dig in and discover what's going on. So that's what we've been doing. Um, we're going through, I'm going through differently than the order than the book is written. Uh, I, I highly recommend getting the book. Um, I'm not planning on doing every one of the Bible studies in the book. I'll be skipping a few next week for sure. I think I skipped one for this week. Um, but I am doing them, one from the Old Testament, one for the New Testament, which is also different. He does it all Old Testament and all New Testament. So I'm really interested if you go through and look at the subjects and there's one that you are really interested or that you'd like us to cover, make sure you tell me. So um, I'll, I'll look at it and see if, that, if we can make sure we, we can fit it in. All right. So um, some of the subjects we've looked at, we've looked at understanding the, the Old Testament from the perspective of the Israelites, their, how they looked at the world, uh, how they looked at the, the whole cosmos, how they, how they were people of their times. We looked at the whole concept of inspiration and what inspiration is um, and, and how it works, how the, looked at uh, dealing with some original text and how we get from the original text to to English and how sometimes that's a little bit difficult. Then we started looking at some really, you know, some fascinating things like circumcision. What was that all about? And we studied Moses in the basket. You know, uh, what what? Why was that such a significant story? We looked at uh, the whole bridegroom of blood. What? No, that's a weird one. That was a strange one. What 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 did that mean? And, and uh, then taking a look at the sin offering and finding out is more about purification. And last week, we studied about that character, Azazel. Who's this Azazel guy that all of a sudden shows up in the middle of the holiest day of the year? What's that about? You know, the scapegoat. 
And so some of the things we study from the New Testament so far, Jesus declaring war on the gates of hell, you know, setting captives free, um, angels, guardian angels, New, and how the New Testament looks at the Old Testament and how some of, how the, uh, where they get some of their quotes. That whole concept of Satan falling like lightning when Jesus talked about that. What, what's the context of that? And the healing serpent, what's the context of that? How, what does that have to do with Jesus? And the whole walking on the water, that was a fun one to do, looking at this, what did it mean when Jesus was walking on the water? And then last New Testament we did was Simon the Magician and the Great Power. So to, uh, tonight... We're going to be doing destiny and destination, destiny and destination out of the New Testament. And next week, I'm going to do writing a wrong, getting into that chapter on writing a wrong. I'll skip a few and we'll, we'll jump down to writing a wrong. Um, so uh, are we ready to jump in? All right. I'm almost ready. I need a drink of water already. Okay, so destiny and destination. There's this, um, all right, there we go. There's this uh, Paul in the book of Romans talks about his desire to go to Spain. And then we're going to take a look at that. And, and why is that an important destination for him? What does that have to do with destiny? So let's take a look at it. It's almost like you read Paul's writing this and you're like, Okay, why is Spain important? And why would he put that in a letter? Why is he telling people that he's, that's, that's his goal, what he's trying to do? And here it is. He says, I hope to see you in passing. His, this is a, in the book of Romans. And I'll, we'll see the actual text in a minute. I mean, the, the address in a minute. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, says Paul. While imprisoned, his ambitions are repeated a few, few verses later. When, therefore, I have completed this, I will leave for Spain by way of you. This is in Romans 15. Uh, chapter 15, verse 28. Um, and he says, it, it, Heiser says, it's certainly ambitious for him to be making traveling plans. He's in prison. <laughs> He's making traveling plans. But Paul wasn't making casual conversation or just planning a vacation. He's like, I'm not just going, you know, I'm not going to the beaches of Spain. You know, it's not that. He's got a reason that he's wanting to go to Spain. He believed that his life and ministry would not end until he reached Spain. Now, why would he believe that? That's kind of odd. Um, we aren't sure if Paul made it or not. We don't know if he actually got there. Um, but he was passionate about getting there. It was a definite goal for him. Now, why? Why was that his goal? Well, he saw it in prophecy. He looks at Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 66, and sees something there and says, Oh, I've got to get to Spain. So what is Isaiah 66? have to do with getting to Spain. All right, that's what we're going to look at tonight. And then we're going to see how that actually has application in our lives. Now, I'm not saying go out and buy a plane ticket to Spain. That's not the, that's not the point. There's, you can if you want, but that's, you know, that has nothing to do with the point. All right. So, day of salvation. The day of salvation. Let's take a look at this for a minute. So, in many places, Paul quotes from Isaiah. He, he quotes from several Old Testament books. And he's, he's referencing this long-promised day of salvation that the prophets talk about, that the scriptures talk about. And that, that this day has come in his lifetime. The day of salvation has arrived. The kingdom of God is here. 
This is what John the Baptist said. Repent, return to God, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Jesus said the same thing. Return to God, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has arrived. So in the Old Testament, the Jews were looking for something. Before they had belief in Jesus, before they understood that Jesus was the Messiah, there was a phrase that was given in the Old Testament that they were looking for that would lead to the day of salvation. And that phrase is called the fullness of the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? I want to see where everybody is. Nobody's ever heard that before? Okay, good. A few people. So raise your hands if you've. I want to just kind of see. All right, a couple people. All right. So most of us have never heard it. It's, it's, a, it's a key verse in the scriptures. Um, we're going to look at this, and this is in book, book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. So Paul's about to reveal something that was hidden. This is something that was hidden. He's about to tell them something that has been revealed. He says, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, where did Paul get this? Is he just making this up? Why is he saying this? He's saying that something has happened to Israel for a period of time, and we'll know the end of that time when we reach this fullness of the Gentiles. What Paul demonstrates, and he starts in Romans 9, goes all the way to the end of Romans 11, he says that that Gentiles, non-Jewish inclusion in the kingdom of God is possible uh, in part to the fact that the hearts of many of the Jewish people are temporarily hardened. In other words, they have rejected the gospel. Because there is a rejection among many in, in, uh, among the Israelites, that made an opening of time for those who were non-Jews to come into the kingdom of God. And Paul, this is what Paul talks about in Romans 9, 10, and 11. All right. Here it is in Romans 11, 11. I'm going to start there. We're going to look at a few, a few passages and how Paul opens this up. Now, what, he, what he's doing here, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, because most, some of, have we, how many of us are, have not read, and I'm, I'm just asking so I know how deep to go in. I don't want to go into too much if you're familiar with it. How many are familiar with Romans, or not familiar with Romans 9, 10, and 11, really don't know the flow of it? Okay, we have a few people. All right, thank you. I'll give you a little bit of the flow of it so it gives us a little bit of background rather than just jumping in with a verse here. So what's going on in 9, 10, 11 is this question. Um, Paul, one of the, the thesis of the book of Romans is that the righteousness of God is revealed by faith. The power of, sal- of salvation has come through Christ and we can enter into, actually become, become the people of God by faith. That we can have the imputed righteousness of God in our lives because of the work of Christ. And, and, and the, the, gospel, um, the gospel has, the power of the gospel has, has been revealed through faith. And at the same time, the wrath of God has been revealed. Both. We've come to a point in time when there is both righteousness available and that, that um, God's wrath is known, um, meaning that uh, this is an, this the gospel is now not the kingdom of God is now not something that is geographically centered around Israel, 
it is now something that's no longer geocentric, but it's, it's of the heart and of the spirit, and therefore can go out. It doesn't matter geography. Geography doesn't matter any longer. All right. So he gets to Romans 9, 10, and 11, and, um, and he says, uh, so does that mean God's rejected the Jewish people? And he says, no, God has not rejected the Jewish people. They, they, the, there is a covenant, the covenant that God had with Abraham, um, but, but they have rejected his uh, means of salvation. Now, he says, um, he's now, uh, and he develops all this out, how it comes about, because, th- because they have ject- rejected his means of salvation, the gospel is open up to everyone. Now, Jesus told a parable about this. Go back to the gospel, I mean, Matthew. And he says, listen, he says, the king is throwing a banquet. And the king has invited guests to his banquet, the wedding banquet, right? And, uh, and the guests have said, oh, I don't have time. I've got things going on. I'm not interested. And the king gets angry. He says, well, they're no longer invited. Go out into the highways and byways and invite everyone else. And so the king's servants go out and they invite everyone else. And then all these people come in. And then they start going around looking for who has a wedding garment on. You don't have a wedding garment on? You don't? No, 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 no. You, you may only come in here if you have the wedding garment on. What's that wedding garment? That wedding garment is that entering into a relationship with Christ. Wedding garments are actually a really uh, uh, awesome way of describing it. That relationship. All right. So kind of putting all these pictures and motifs together, we come here to Romans 11, 11, and Paul is giving us a clue as to the return of Christ. He's telling us right here when Jesus is coming back. And he says it right here. He says, I ask you, did they, talking about Israel, stumble in order that they might fall? So they stumbled. In other words, they're tripping up. But does that mean they're completely out of the picture? They've fallen. By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. So Paul's saying is, listen, they, they have tripped up. They, and how did they tripped up? Because they have rejected their Messiah. The Messiah is now available to the whole world for those. And the goal, Paul's goal, is that Israel would get jealous. Hey, wait a minute. That's that's my God. Now, in fact, I'm going to tell a personal story here. Um, there's a, uh, a, a Jewish gentleman that I know, uh, a teacher, um, Bible teacher, Bible scholar. When he was a teenager, um, a friend of his invited him to a summer camp. And he went to the summer camp. And once he got there, he found out that the summer camp was a Christian camp. And he was mad at his friend. He said, what you invite me to a Christian camp for? I'm a Jew. Why did you do that? He was mad at him, and um, he says, but, but they're in this assembly together, and they're starting to worship. And as they're worshiping, uh, he's watching all these other youth in this place. This was actually in a, um, I forget which country it was. It was, it was, it was, in, a, it was in Central America. Anyway, they're, they're, they're worshiping, and as they're worshiping the Lord, uh, he's looking around, and he's, and he's literally, he says, I started getting jealous. He goes, they're worshiping my God. They're saying Yahweh. They're, they're quoting, the, you know, the, the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. And he started getting jealous. And he says, and next thing you know, 
he hears them starting to worship in all these different languages. He goes, I never heard how. I didn't know what in the world they were saying. But then the girl next to him started worshiping in Hebrew. And he's, oh, there's a Jewish girl here. So he leans over to this girl and he says to her, he says, what does your rabbi think about you being here? And she looks at him and goes, my what? She's your rabbi. What does your rabbi think about you being here? She's, what are you talking about? She goes, you're worshiping in Hebrew. You're speaking Hebrew. What does your rabbi think about you being here? She goes, is that the language I'm speaking? I have no idea what language it is. It's just the language the Holy Spirit gave her. So he goes back to his room that night, and as a result, the Lord arrests his heart, and he gives his life to Christ. And now he's uh, very much an evangelist in teaching the scriptures. It's amazing hearing him tell this story in person. Yeah. So... Um, this is what Paul's saying right here. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Verse 12. Now, if their trespass means riches for their worlds, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? In other words, Paul's saying there's going to be a time in which they return and come back to their Messiah as a nation, as a people. And what, it, what in the world does that mean? If, if it means that, that the fact that they rejected the Messiah, the world gets to receive the Messiah, what, what could it possibly mean when they as a nation receive their Messiah? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 15. We'll jump down a few verses. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Paul is telling us point blank, when Israel, as a nation, receives Christ as Messiah, Jesus will be returning. That will be the moment of the resurrection of the dead, the second coming of Christ. He's telling us. It's not apocalyptic literature. It's not hidden in prophetic metaphor. He's telling us right there, plain on the page. What's that? So Paul makes the argument. So the question that, uh, that's been asked is what happens to the Jews in between? So what we're talking about here, you have, to, you have to separate the difference between God dealing with nations and God dealing with individuals. Okay? The, the scripture talks about both, God dealing with nations and God dealing with individuals. He, Paul is talking right now on a national level. On a national level, by and large, the people of Israel rejected the Messiah. Okay? As individuals, and Paul makes this argument all through Romans. He says this in, in Romans 1, Romans 2, Romans 3. It's in Romans 3. We all, um, and it, it's, it's brought up in Acts 15, when, when uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas go back to Jerusalem, and they're talking about what do we do with these Gentiles? And Peter says this. Paul and Barnabas says this. James says this. We all stand on equal footing. Every individual is responsible before God for their choice of, re, of, of accepting the salvation that God has offered or not. And so, um, so uh, uh, there is, God's not keeping anyone out. He's not keeping individuals out. In fact, Romans 2 says this, that the, the, the attributes of God are clearly seen since the beginning of the world, but we suppress the truth. In other words, we don't want to know the truth. Why? Because then it means we have to change our lives. Okay. So you're talking about Romans 9 and the hardening of the heart. Um, the, uh, this text right here doesn't say 
I'm, I'm in, I'm, oh, hang on. I didn't get there. So the, the, we're getting in a whole different subject. I'll, I'll, I'll answer it very briefly, and then when we get to the discussion time, this is a perfect question to bring up during the discussion time. We're going to have some discussion time. Did God harden their hearts? The whole question about hardening of heart, um, for me, there's a very particular way I understand it. When you look at the text, let's just take Pharaoh. So uh, we're getting into a bit of a conversation here. I don't know if everybody's on the same page, and I want to make sure everybody's on the same page so we're not talking about something and people have no clue what we're talking about. So what Sally asked, oops, I said your name in the video. I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. It doesn't hurt, but I, mean, I don't want to put you on the spot. What this person over here asked, for those who are listening in, <laughs> who are you? I don't <laughs> So, um, uh, yeah, it's a false name. <laughs> um, w- w- the question was this, did God, what about the fact that God hardened their hearts? First of all, the text doesn't say God hardened the hearts of Israel. That's not what it says. It says, they, it says their hearts are hardened. When you look in Romans 9, because there it talks about, Paul talks about a God-hardened Pharaoh's heart. And the text talks about God-hardening Pharaoh's heart. When you go back into Exodus and you look at the passages in Exodus, it, the text actually says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Then it says, first off, it starts off with Pharaoh has a hard heart. Then Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Then his heart was hard. Then it says God hardened his heart. It is not a, um, uh, it is God giving him over to the disposition of who he is and his choices. He was given over to that. Um, It is not a, um, what's the term I want? Um. Oh, there's a very specific term I'm trying to get. Uh, uh, um, oh, my goodness. It just went out of my head. It's not automatic. In other words, it's not that he didn't have a choice in the matter. It's not determined. It wasn't a determined thing. Okay? It wasn't, um, uh, 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 you know, a, a button that God switched in him so he couldn't, didn't have a choice in the matter. Does that make sense? All right. Yeah. So that's my position on it. You'll hear different people take different positions on it. It's beyond the scope of tonight, but we can talk about it in the discussion if you want. I, I, I'm actually, um, it's actually one of my points of study, um, fairly current. All right. So back to the text here. Now, um, if their rejection means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Um, let me answer the question one more way. Uh, uh, person over here <laughs> without, saying your, without saying your name to everybody in the world if you go back and look at the chapter uh, 2 of Acts on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls um, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually answer it a slightly different way how many of us have seen clear, God do clear miracles and answer clear prayers and watch other people go, yeah, but, oh, well, you know, whatever. And then you're sitting there boggling your mind, like, how can you not actually see what God just did? How can you not actually see that? Okay, so we have that experience all the time, but when the Scripture talks about that happens, we go, well, why did God do that? Okay? But we have that experience all the time. You know, I hear people say it all the time. I don't understand 
I mean, if you want to, if you want to see how, just how many absolute, verified, medically verified, incredible miracles are going on in the world, look up the works of Craig Keener. Craig Keener, the scholar Craig Keener. He has two volumes this thick of current, ongoing, book of Acts types of miracles that are going on in all kinds of places in the world. But one of the things that happens is you see geographically where less miracles happen than other places. You saw the same thing where Jesus, in Jesus' hometown, what did he say? He did very few, very few miracles. Why? Because people didn't believe. If people are not interested in seeking him for it, God's not going to do it. Um, So that's not on God. Do you, do you follow? Uh, you know, it's like, you know, he, he says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you. I uh, forget the second, second city. He said, the miracles had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah that were done in your presence. They would have repented. So it's actually not always a good thing that miracles manifest to the fullest. Because if hearts are harder, it makes you more culpable, not less. There is a merciful reason why miracles aren't always done to the fullest. Because if hearts are hard to begin with, anyway, that's a whole different subject and we're way off, way off point here. And that's my fault, not your fault. Um, all right. So verse, uh, verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. So once again, there's a mystery here. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So Paul is telling us there is a timeline here. Now, the scriptures tell us we don't know the day or the hour, but we will know the season. We will know the season. Now, what is one of the ways we will tell the season? When we, as the, I'm getting way ahead of myself tonight. This is all completely out of order. I don't know why I'm doing this all out of order. <laughs> but when we, as the body of Christ, have taken the, the command of Jesus seriously to reach the end of the world with the gospel, hmm, we will come to the point where we see the fullness of the Gentiles. All right, let me keep going. So, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness for Jacob. So, he's quoting from the Old Testament. He's got this quote. And the deliverer is going to come from Zion. That's talking about Jesus. Um, and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. Jacob is a, is a, uh, um, a, 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 a term that's a reference for Israel. It's a way of talking about Israel. And uh, Jacob was his name. He was changed to Israel. So he had two names. Um, and he's saying he's going to banish ungodliness, meaning what? Now, when he says all Israel will be saved, once again, he's talking about the nation. He's not talking about every individual. Remember, I told you he's talking nationally here, not about individuals. Every individual has a choice. But he's talking about as a nation, we will see Israel as a nation coming to Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you this. It's a little interesting tidbit. Do you know there are more Jews who are coming to Christ today than there were in the first century? Yeah. Interesting. But I digress even more. So, 
to, uh, to, to undo the hardening, to undo this hardening. Now, see, this is where it really comes in. Paul has the mission to undo the hardening. What, and, and we get caught up on the part, is God hardening people? And we miss the part that there is something real that we are to participate with God in here if we were to get the full picture. And Paul got the full picture. Paul did not want, he said this in Romans 9, if I could literally give up my own salvation that my brothers could get saved, I would do it. You see, it should move us not to sit here and get mad at God because God's not the one rejecting himself. It should move us to say, how, God, can we cooperate with you to bring the message to as many as possible to get to the point where we reach the fullness? That's what Paul wants to do. He wants to accomplish the mission. He wants to accomplish the mission. And I'm going to tell you, I said this Sunday morning, um, uh, I'm going to plug a book here. I think every one of us should read it. It's called The American Worldview Inventory 22-23. It's written by George Barna, and in it he presents seven key cornerstones as a foundation to developing a biblical worldview. And he says the likelihood that anybody can develop a biblical worldview without having these seven key cornerstone uh, uh, foundational um, uh, – these foundational cornerstones – in your uh, belief system is, is actually doc- documented by verifiable data to be less than 1%. And one of those foundational cornerstones is this, that, that we as believers, as Christians, need to understand that the, the Scriptures teach us something very specific about success. And that success is defined in a very specific way in the Bible. And what that is, it is is defined by our obedience to God in word, thought, and action. It's not defined by our work life, by our school life, by our achievements, by our accomplishments, by all the good things we do or don't do in the world. It's defined by obedience to God. Now that makes sense if we understood that He's our Creator. And we were created for him, not for us. So then success would be how well I live for him. That kind of makes sense. Well, Paul wants to accomplish this. He wants to complete what? Gentile evangelism. And he was the apostle called to the Gentiles. He wants to get to the place where he has reached the world for Christ. So then Paul's longing can be fulfilled for what? For Jews to believe in their Messiah Jesus. That's what he wants. There's nothing he wants more. Got to remember, this was the guy who was actually putting people in jail and killing people for believing Jesus, believing in Jesus. This was the guy that was going out and, and imprisoning people. In fact, if you really understood it, he was a Pharisee. And he went to the high priests and the Sadducees to get the letters in order to travel about to have the authority to jail and oppress the church. Which meant 
The Pharisees and the Sadducees were political adversaries. They did not get along at all. He crossed the aisle of his political adversary to join with his political adversary in order to put Christians in jail and to persecute them. That's who Paul is. And this is the guy who wants to reach his own brothers and sisters with the gospel. And he knows that the means to do it is getting to the fullness of the Gentiles. Do you see this? Everybody with me? Only then the deliverer can come again to Zion. Here it is in 1126. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. The deliverer will come from Zion. The deliverer will come. All right. So Isaiah prophesies, Yahweh gathers all nations to see his glory. This is, this is in Isaiah. We're going to look at some prophecies so we can see where Paul's getting this. This is in Isaiah 66. I'm going to start in verse 18. All right. For I know their works and their thoughts. And the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pool, and Lud, who draw the bow to Tubal and Javan, and to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. So if you catch what's going on here, Isaiah's putting this in a very poetic way. What he's saying is this, is that. Yahweh has literally promised salvation to the nations, to the Gentiles. Isaiah is saying it. To the ends of the earth. They're going to go out into all these places to the ends of the earth. Salvation is going to come uh, to the Gentiles. He says, I'm going to give a sign that the Gentiles are going to be saved. What's that sign? They are going to be delivered by Jewish exiles. God's going to send messengers to them. That's going to be their sign. Jewish exiles are going to go to them where they are, to the very specific lands of Tarshish, Pul, Lud, Tubal, uh, 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 and Javan. Now everybody knows where that is, right? <laughs> yeah. So this is Heiser. I'm quoting from Heiser here. The conversion of the Gentiles would result in the Jews from those nations returning to Yahweh. In other words, the sign, messengers go. They're going to go to this. By the way, I'll, I'll tell you it ahead of time. Tarshish is Spain. Tarshish is Spain. I'll give you the punchline ahead of time just because you're not wondering. And, and you're sitting there wondering and not hearing what I'm saying because I know that would happen. Um, <laughs> so, um, now I lost my train of thought. <laughs> so, you've got... Um, um, uh, just to repaint that, that, that prophecy. What's the prophecy? The nations are going to come to Yahweh. How are they going to come? I'm going to give them a sign. What's the sign? I'm going to send a messenger to go out and tell them. And what's going to happen? When, they, when, when I tell them, when they hear the gospel, they're going to come to me. And what are they going to do when they come to me? They're going to bring all the exiles, the Jews that are out there, back to me. 
This is where Paul's getting his, his word in, 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 in Romans 11. This is where he's getting it from. Look, the fullness of the Gentiles. If I go to Spain, if I go to the place and preach to the Gentiles, it's going to make Israel jealous, and they're going to come back. So the faster we get the nations into the kingdom is the faster we see Israel return to Christ. Isaiah just prophesied it. He's right there. Everybody follow. Everybody with me, following where Paul's getting this, which is fascinating to me because Paul, this is all prophesied hundreds of years before this ever happens. Isaiah is hundreds of years before this ever happens. So what's the sign that Paul saw? So Paul understood Isaiah 66 in light of Christ. It says God gave a sign. The sign, the oat is the the Hebrew word for it. Um, It's the virgin born Jesus. Jesus is the sign. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. This is Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel um, is it's a name, but it actually has a meaning. And what it actually means is God with us. It means God with us. Um, Yahweh makes himself responsible to send the sign. Did you, did you catch that in that verse? It says, therefore, Yahweh himself will give you the sign. Yahweh is making himself responsible for the sign to go out. All right? Um, So what happens? At Pentecost, the Jews traveled. From where? They traveled from the nations to where they were exiled. All over the world. And they come back to Jerusalem. If you go back and you read uh, the the book of um, uh, Acts in chapter 2, You'll see when the Holy Spirit falls, it says they're Jews from this place and from that place and from this place. We're actually going to look at it in a minute. Um, and so they come where? They come to Jerusalem. And what do they see? They witness the sign of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the sign of the new covenant. He's falling upon. He's coming upon the disciples. They heard the gospel miraculously. Just like the testimony I told earlier of that Jewish man who was hearing the gospel from this a young lady who didn't even know she was speaking his language. That's exactly what they experienced. The disciples, are, they don't know what language they're speaking. Everybody's hearing the gospel in their own languages right in that moment. They heard it miraculously, each heard in their own language. And what did they do? They believed. Several thousand came to Christ on that one day. And here I'm going to read it. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They're talking about the disciples. Um, I, I believe that happens to be the, the temple. Some people believe it was the upper room, but it was where everybody could see them. So I think they were in the temple. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now, a lot of people say that, see that house, and that's why I think it's upper room. But Ezekiel calls the temple the house, by the way. So that's why sometimes it could be. It could be either one. Um, and divided tongues as of the fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So they're literally, they're, 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 they're feeling the wind, they're hearing the sound, they're seeing fire fall on the disciples. And then what happens? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So now they're speaking out different languages. And they were dwelling in Jeru- and there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. So uh, literally, men from every nation under heaven, all the, the known nations that uh, that would have been known in that area, had had um, come together 
for the Feast of Pentecost. These would have all been Jewish men or Jewish converts. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were hearing the gospel being communicated to them in their own language, not in the common language that they spoke together, not in Koine, not in Aramaic, but in their own mother tongues. Um, And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Um, And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native uh, language, Parthenians and Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Asia would be Asia Minor. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling, our own, telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed saying to one another what does this mean i mean okay like i would be saying the same what in the what is going on here could you imagine being there seeing that i mean how long how many times have you actually stopped and read it that slowly and thought about what it would have been like to be standing there in the crowd as fire is falling on people the Holy Spirit is moving people, and all the, they're speaking in all these different languages. It sounds like it would be chaotic, yet it was very orderly because everybody could understand. Yeah. This Jesus, Paul, Peter says further down, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. We are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What he's saying is Jesus, we saw him, we're witnesses, he came back from the dead. And not just came back in this flesh, came back in resurrected final flesh. And not just that, we actually saw him lifted up into heaven and he is now seated bodily, physically at the right hand of God. And because of that, God literally has enabled him to send the Holy Spirit from heaven here to us. And that's what you're seeing. That's what you're seeing. The evidence and proof that Jesus is Lord, the Messiah of Israel, is that he sent the Holy Spirit. That is what Peter is saying. You want to know how you know Jesus is Lord and that he is the the Messiah of Israel? He sent the Holy Spirit. Let all the house of Israel therefore know. See, he's telling you. Israel, now you can know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Messiah. Christ means Messiah. This Jesus whom you've crucified, which also means king in, 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 the, uh, in the mind. He is Lord, King, Messiah, whom you crucified. Now that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what do we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that sign. And you will receive that. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls 
to himself. So this wasn't just something that was to happen right there on that day in a moment. It is literally um, part and parcel of the very preaching of the gospel itself. Coming into the kingdom of God. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So uh, the way they count it, well, I'll, just, I'll leave it at that for now. There's, that 3,000 has spiritual significance to it. Um, so... Um, Let's, let's break this down just a little bit. Uh, there were foreign Jewish believers who were there. Why were they foreign Jewish believers? Because the Jews had been exiled. They had been taken out of the land. And most of the Jews ne- did, never came back to the nation. Most of the Jews settled in the nations where they were. There were synagogues all over the world. Most of them didn't come back. Only a remnant came back to reform the nation um, after the exile. And so, so but... Um, there are three feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and, and uh, the Feast of Booths. So Passover, Pesach, Pentecost, Shavuot, Feast of Booths, the coat. Those three feasts, are all, the men, uh, Jewish men, were required wherever you were in the world to go back to Jerusalem for that feast. That's why you read in the book of Acts, Paul will be somewhere. He goes, well, I've got to get back to Jerusalem. Pentecost is close. He's trying to get back to participate. Um, so, uh, uh, now it, it could be the whole family, but a lot of times it wouldn't be the whole family. Why? Cause somebody had to stay home to take care of the house. <laughs> you know, you're going to leave you, when you leave, you weren't getting in the car driving and coming back that day. You know, it just didn't happen that way. <laughs> we had to work these things out. Um, so they were returning to their nations. These foreign believers who had come from all over the world had come there now, and they're about to return to their nations throughout the whole Mediterranean region, and what are they going to do? They're going to tell everybody what just happened. What did Isaiah prophesy? All these Gentiles out here, there's going to be these exiled Jews who are going to take the sign out to them, and then they, in turn, when that fullness is reached, is going to bring Israel back to him. Huh. And what's going on? What are we seeing? See, if we don't know all these pieces, we don't put them together. Do you see how integrated your Bible is? Do you see how all these pieces, something going on in Romans, something going on in Acts, something going on in Isaiah, all are interplaying to God's plan to accomplish the return of Christ. But if we don't know all these pieces, we don't put this together. Well, we could read Paul reading, hey, I'm looking forward to go to Spain. And we're going, dude, you know, beautiful beach vacation. Awesome for you, dude. You think you're going to get out of prison? And we don't get that Paul's got a mission in mind that goes all the way back to Isaiah. And God's already bringing it to pass. This is super cool because it has to do with you and me. And I've already given hints on it. So. If we carefully examine this Acts 2 narrative, which we've been doing, and we consider the nations that are mentioned. Now watch this. This is super cool. Because nothing else is. I'm such a Bible nerd. Um, If when you look at these nations and look at how these are put, 
Starts with what? It goes with the Parthians. The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. If you looked at this list and you actually were to put them on a map, you would notice that these nations actually move from the east going west. So the list starts in the region where the Jews were first exiled. They were first exiled to the east. They were taken off by the Assyrians. They were taken off by the Babylonians. They were taken off over in that direction. And then it moves to the west. Paul's missionary journey begins right in the middle of all that. When he starts it, his missionary journeys... He starts his missionary journeys right in the center of, that, of all, all of those regions. And then he goes westward. So now we're going to talk about the ends of the earth. Is everybody with me so far? All right. So in Isaiah, Spain, the ancient name for Spain, which I already gave you, is Tarshish. That's and in Isaiah, in, in, in their thinking, that's literally the end of the world, right? That's Paul's understanding. Paul sees Tarshish, Spain, that part of, um, of Europe, that's the end over there. You get there, you've reached the end. They're not, they're not uh, uh, thinking across the sea. It says, I will set a sign among them, it's Isaiah 66, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Paul, Lude, and who draw the bow, Tubal, etc., etc., and they shall declare my glory among the nations. So this is Heiser. When Paul wrote Romans, he and other believers had taken the gospel to every region in Isaiah 66, every region except Tarshish. Isn't that fascinating? So when he, by the time he had got done his third missionary journey, by the time he's in prison, and he's writing this book to the Romans, all of those nations right there that he mentions, Paul, Lude, Tubal, Javan, he'd gone to all of them. The one he hadn't gone to, Tarshish. He hadn't gotten there. Isn't that fascinating? So, discussion time. Before we get to the conclusion here, what's this have to do with us? Let's have some discussion. What was Paul's desire, number one? Number two, how was his desire to be accomplished? Um, Number three, what was he focused on doing in order to accomplish it? And number four, what did Jesus say would happen in Jerusalem before he came back? Now, they don't seem related, um, but let's just start with the first three, then we'll, then we'll see where we get to with number four. And let's just kind of have some fun with this a little bit. So what was Paul's desire, and how was he going to accomplish it, and, and uh, what was he focused on doing in order to accomplish it? Let me ask that. So let's kind of have some discussion around there. What was his desire? What's Paul trying to accomplish? Okay, so I'm going to say that was more a means. So, the, so uh, some people are listening in. The, the response was take the gospel to the whole world. I'm going to say that was maybe more of a means and not the first desire. What's the first prime desire that's driving Paul? Do what? Yeah, but there's a reason why he wants to do that. What's the reason Paul's trying to get to the fullness of the Gentiles? 
But why does he want to make the Jews jealous? What will happen? Uh, so Jesus coming back, something has to happen for Jesus to come back that Paul really wants. What did you say? Right, but there's a desire. He has a desire. He's burning inside of him his desire that he's, he's talked about in Romans multiple times. What? Yeah, that the Jews would be saved, that his nation would receive her, her, her Messiah. That's his desire. If I could to give my own salvation for it, I would, Paul says. His desire is that Israel comes to Christ. That's his desire. That's his passion. When he goes to a city, and, and that city has a synagogue, where's the very first place he goes to preach the gospel? I just told you. The synagogue. The very first place he goes is into the synagogue. He doesn't go to the streets first. In Romans, when he begins the letter, he says, For I am not ashamed of the power of gospel uh, uh, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Gentile. He wants to see Israel come to Christ. So we have all this conversation and discussion about why is God hard in her heart? And Paul's only thing is, is how do we get from them being hard to being soft to the gospel? He sees it just the reverse the way we see it. Exactly the opposite. God has given us a task, and that's to win. All right, now we can get, if that's his desire, how do the scriptures tell us that desire shall be accomplished? Now some of the other answers come in. Traveling to Spain, but why traveling to Spain? Evangelism, evangelizing who? The Gentiles. Why the fullness of the Gentiles? So what? Why is re, why um what happens? Why does that help his desire? Why does reaching the Gentiles help his desire to reach the Jews? Do I? Because that has to come first. Yeah, but why does it have to come first? Yeah, but why does it have to come first from the scriptures? I just told you. Okay, raise hands because I can't listen to two at once. Well, I mean, yes, it will make them jealous, but, um, I mean, that's what the scripture says. But, yeah, it's the prophecy. It's the prophecy. Paul's simply trying to obey the scriptures. The prophecy says the way it will happen is the fullness of the Gentiles. God said, remember, God's the one going to give the sign. God gave the sign, the Holy Spirit. Now, he said, messengers will take the sign. Okay? And he take the sign, and he said, those messengers will go to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth, to the fullness of the nations. So, therefore, the means to accomplish my desire is obedience to the Word of God, obedience to the prophecies. So, I'm going to live my life, Paul says, in obedience to to the call and the command to do what it's it's no different how many were were here when we studied daniel and daniel opened up the books of jeremiah and read the prophecies and said we're going to be in exile for 70 years 
oh my goodness. And he gets on his face and begins to fast and pray because 70 years were up. He was reading the prophecies and saying, because I am alive now in this generation and there is a prophecy to be fulfilled, God wants to use me to bring it about. This is a very different way of looking in the scriptures than the way most of us look at it. Most of us go, well, God said he's going to do it. Go ahead, God. Most of us forget the entire book of Esther. What happened in the book of Esther? Mordecai tricks Haman into the day of genocide for the Jews. Doesn't realize that, um, I'm sorry, I said it wrong. Haman tricks the priest. I still said it wrong. Tricks the king. I'm, I'm, my brain is going way faster than my tongue. I've got to slow my brain down here. <laughs> Haman deceives the king into to putting into law a day of genocide for the Jews. Doesn't realize that the king's prized queen is a Jew. Mordecai tells Esther, we're done in. No, we're not. I'm fasting and praying because God is going to bring salvation. How did Mordecai know that? He knew the scriptures. He knew the Abrahamic covenant. If you curse Abraham, you will be cursed. If you bless Abraham, you will be blessed. And not just Abraham, but his descendants. He understood the scriptures. And he was applying it. Therefore, what did he do? He fasted and prayed that he might participate with the covenant of God in order to bring about the solution of God in his time and his day. And he says to Esther, you need to fast and pray and you need to go to the king. She goes, me? Little old me? I don't have the authority and power to go to the king. In fact... He hasn't called me in a month. If I just walk in there and go to him, he can kill me. He goes, what do you think the whole day is about? You think you're going to escape the day of genocide in here? He said, what? And then he says something else. Why do you think God put you this close to the king to begin with? For your benefit? Or for him to bring about his plan? She goes, oh. Well, pray for me. Fast for me. So they all participated in praying and fasted. And she goes to the king. And the king hears. And the king discovers that he was deceived. And the whole thing gets flipped on its head. Because the people of God participated with the word of God. And Paul's doing the same thing here. There's this prophecy. The fullness of the Gentiles. Oh, my goodness. And that's not the only place, by the way, the fullness of the Gentiles is mentioned. It's mentioned in other places in the, in the scriptures. But we just took one place. And he applies it knowing this is how his desire is accomplished. And so, so what was he focused on doing as a result? What was Paul focused on doing as a result of his desire and how the scripture said it was to be accomplished? Yeah, he wanted to get to the end of the world. Isaiah, look, Isaiah says, here's all the places to go. And Paul's, I mean, Paul's reading. He says, I've been there. I've been there. I've been there. I haven't been there yet. 
He's just reading the scriptures. I've gotten here, I've gotten here, I've gotten here. He says, hey guys, when I come to see you, I'll pass by because I'm headed there. Well, where did he get the idea that, that, need, that there was a place to go? Right there in Isaiah. He's following the plan. He's doing what is laid out for him. He's obeying the scriptures because success is obedience to God in word, thought, and deed. Mm. All right. Now, let's add some icing on the cake here. What did Jesus say would happen in, uh, uh, when, when he went into Jerusalem right before he was crucified? See, he, he just rode in on the donkey, and, and, uh, um, and he's in Jerusalem, and he just finished preaching, and now he's left outside of Jerusalem. He's overlooking Jerusalem. He's looking at it and watching it. And Jesus something says something very specific over top of Jerusalem. What did he say is going to happen there before he comes back? Does anybody know by any chance? This one, I'm going to have to get points out. This is worth 250 points if you know this. Yes, that's the beginning of it. The beginning of it. Yep, that's part of what he says. If you would have understood. So, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as a hen would gather her chicks, but you would have it not. You who killed the prophets and stoned those who were sent to you. If only you had known... But there's something he says after that that is specifically attached to what we're talking about here. Yeah, if, you, if only you'd known the day of your visitation. So, but, but there's something he says. All right, he makes a prophecy, and here it is. You can look it up. It's in um, uh, uh, Matthew 23, 23. You'll find it beginning there. Um, so he says this. Uh, Most assuredly... So when he says most assuredly, what should we feel? Most assured. Okay, in the Greek, most assured means be most assured. <laughs> um, Bible nerd jokes, I'm sorry. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, you will not see me again. Huh, talking about when he's going to come back, when he's going to return. The return. Until you declare... Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, for us, we're like, okay, what is that, you know? That's Jewish code. Why do I say it's Jewish code? Because he's quoting from the Psalms, and that is a messianic psalm. So what he's saying is, until you declare who your Messiah is, I'm not coming back. Until you understand who your Messiah is, I'm not coming back. Most assuredly. Now do you understand why it's so important to pray for the peace of Jerusalem? What is the peace of Jerusalem? Shalom. What is shalom? Shalom is Christ. Now do you see why the scripture says pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Your own future, your own future is tied to what happens in Jerusalem. Your destiny is tied to what happens in Jerusalem. That's scripture. That's Jesus himself. Paul's desire was the salvation of his fellow Jews. How was it going to be accomplished? The fullness of the Gentiles. What needs to be focused on? Reaching Spain. Why? It was the end of the world. Reaching it meant what? The fullness of the Gentiles. Heisers puts it this way. His focus was evident when he and Barnabas were rejected at Antioch. When they went into Antioch and they were rejected, What did he say 
to the, the, um, the, the, they were rejected by the Jews. He said, we are turning to the Gentiles. You've rejected this, so we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul, that's what Paul says. He's right there telling them. I have made you a light. He's quoting from the scriptures, and he's understood his purpose is to carry out the prophecies of scripture. And Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly, saying, it was necessary. I'm quoting it from Acts. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Do you see how this is a personal choice, person who asked the question earlier? <laughs> for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. See, he's, he's got all these scriptures going through his mind. He's quoting all this stuff. And one of the things that happens in the Bible, I'll tell you this now, is the Bible is written to people who knew the Bible. So very often the Bible will just give you a little quote here and a little quote there, expecting that you understand the whole context of where it came from. Because those, who, those to whom it was written would have. Remember, the Bible wasn't written to us, it was written for us. Big difference. Those to whom it was written would have understood that. All right. For Paul, reaching Spain was about the gospel being fulfilled. There was no other option. This, was, this is something we, couldn't, uh, we wouldn't pick up on without reading our Old Testament. If we didn't know the Old Testament, we couldn't know what in the world Paul was talking about. So Jesus agrees with Paul. I already talked about this. Jesus does not return until salvation comes to the, Gentile, to the Jews. He, he, he prophesies. He says that. O Jerusalem, and here's the quote for you. This is um, starting in verse 37. I told you 23. I was wrong. That, I, actually, I know what 23 is. Matthew 23, 23 is referring to the Pharisees and tithing mint, cumin, and dill. So sorry, I quoted the wrong verse there. This is 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. How often I would gather your children together as a, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Do you hear the willingness? See your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There he is. And again, he's quoting directly out of, Psalm, out of the Psalms. So Peter also says something that really ties to this. This is what Peter said. Peter actually says, just like Paul understood it was his job to bring this about, Peter says it's our job. Peter says we literally have a part in, uh, in bringing Christ back. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and when the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So, um, I'll just, uh, I don't want to go too deep into this. I'll just say this. When he's talking about the heavens passing away and the heavenly bodies will be burned up, um, most, most of us read that and think like the stars and all that will be burned up. And that is a very legitimate reading. There is an equally legitimate reading that I think actually makes more sense and ties to the prophecies because we're going to see the prophecies in a minute. Peter's, draw, Peter's not making any of this up. He's literally quoting Isaiah as well. Okay? And Isaiah is talking about heavenly beings. In other words, the, 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 the sons of God who are ruling wrongly on the earth, he says they will be burnt up. 
That's what he's talking about. Um, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. How we live actually brings about, decides whether or not Jesus comes sooner or later. We can actually hasten the day of Christ returning based on how we live. Peter's words, not mine. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Once again, think heavenly bodies in a spiritual sense. It, it, can, it can legitimately refer to the physical. I think it actually has more meaning and refers to the spiritual, especially when you go back and see the prophecies by which. If you study the Old Testament he's, and you bring it forward, that's, that's the reference. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And all the host, this is Isaiah, all the host of heaven shall rot away. See the host of heaven? It's not talking about stars. It's not talking about stars. Shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll. That skies is another way of saying the heavens. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. And the mountains will melt under him. Mountains are places of, the, uh, of heavenly beings. And the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt. The the earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Uh, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come come into mind. I'm, I'm, I'm quoting various verses from Isaiah so we can see where Peter's got all this. These are all Isaiah verses. This that's in Peter's mind when he's writing this. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I shall, shall make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain forever. Isaiah 60. Your, your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. So there we go. Um, recap. We're finished up. Uh, we get this little thing in Romans, and all of a sudden, as we're reading this letter along, and we get to the end, and Paul's saying, greet this person, greet that person. Oh, by the way, I'm going to come by you on my way to Spain. And we go, okay, that's nice. Why are you telling this personal little travel detail to us, Paul? And it turns out this personal little travel detail is revealing his passion to accomplish the purpose of God. What is the purpose of God? To live, literally live out. The prophecies of God to understand that the word of God prophetically tells us how we are to accomplish God's purposes. And so the question then becomes for us when Jesus says we are to go into all the world and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Um, It says you are to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea. Um, uh, uh, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Um, uh, one, the issue becomes, uh, how are we seeing ourselves in accomplishing God's purposes in our generation? Or is our relationship with Christ something that's just for our personal benefit, our punch ticket to get to heaven? Or is this actually the purpose I was created 
the reason I was created. And I would ask this, who gives the creation its purpose, the creation or the creator? The creator gives the creation its purpose. When I build something, I'm a carpenter by trade. When I build something, what I built doesn't decide for itself what its purpose is. I decided what its purpose was. I decided before I built it. I decided ahead of time why I was building it. Now, what God does that we can't do is he gave his creation the ability to have a relationship back with him. That's what his purpose is. He wants us to accomplish his purposes with him in relationship. In relationship. That's awesome. That's amazing. Paul understood this. These little bit of details roll out for us. Now we can get a, a bigger picture. And so the bigger picture is this. I would submit to you, we need to be praying on a regular basis for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to be praying for Jerusalem to come to Christ. Jerusalem being representative of the nation. For them to come to Christ. To come to their Messiah. Why? Because that means the gospel will have gotten to the end of the world. By praying for them, you're literally praying for the entire world. Because it can't happen until the gospel gets to the end of the world. If you have any burden for the rest of the world to come to Christ. If you have any desire for the rest of the world to come to Christ. Is that not amazing? Is that not amazing? All right. So let's close out in prayer, and we're done. Actually, we're done right on time. Um, And please, greet one another. Take a moment to um, uh, help me with the chairs and greet one another. Father, we bless you. We thank you for these few moments we've had to open your word together. Father, I pray that we would see just how grand and glorious you are and how much you love us and desire to for us to participate with you in bringing about your plans. Help us to see how much you desire for us to be involved with you in accomplishing your purposes. Move on us to have the same heart that Paul had, to want to see the fullness of the kingdom of God on this earth. And how you would have us to participate in that. That there is no one of us insignificant in that, in that plan and purpose of yours. Lord, give us that, 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 uh, that desire, that burden. Open our eyes to your word. Give us the hunger to want to live according to your word and measure our success by your success. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you all please uh, take a moment and say hi to one another, greet one another, and then if you could help me with the chairs as well. And also, I forgot to say this. If you have a prayer request, grab somebody and pray. Don't leave here without getting prayed for. All right.